Welcome once again to the GreatAMovies.com podcast. My name's Larry Lannon, and with us, Adam Austin and Alec Toombs, both contributors to um, the GreatAMovies.com podcast and also to the GreatAMovies.com film review site. And we're going to talk about a lot of films here uh, in this particular podcast and and, uh, touch on some other subjects. We have a special guest today. First, Adam and uh, Alec, welcome once again. And uh, I would like Alec to introduce our guest for this first segment. Sure. Our uh, our guest today is a gentleman named Josh White. Uh, He is the uh, brother-in-law of a friend of mine, uh, Kyle Hunter, who I grew up with. your father-in-law was actually my pediatrician when I was a kid. So it's, or, or I guess Kyle's dad was my pediatrician yeah. as a kid. So uh, small world. And uh, Josh does a YouTube uh, series of videos called picture cars uh, talking about different vehicles and uh, cinema. So it seemed as though it's uh, May in Indiana with the race coming up and the release of uh, fast and furious nine next month to have a, uh, film auto enthusiast join us welcome josh happy to be here he was actually also my pediatrician as well awesome. so. small world dude <laughs> yep so let me ask let me ask you this josh uh, just to start this off if i can um tell us about your interest in cars and films where that comes from and and just uh, tell us a little bit about how you uh, got into it and, and what all you learned through that process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up wanting to be an engineer. I wanted to build cars, but I also really enjoyed movies. I like actors, directors, and having that, that knowledge base. So um, when I went to college, I went to college to become an engineer. I took a couple of semesters to pursue film and video studies a little bit um, as well. And so, um, yeah, now I am a teacher and find myself having the time to further analyze the sorts of movies that I enjoy. Um, The thought process that got me going with this picture car series, though, came about because I watched The Accountant. Um, And The Accountant was, I I thought it was a really great movie. Um, I like those sort of machismo movies where it's there's there's no real love interest it's it's pretty much a cut and dry action flick and um you know it's it's pretty stereotypical in that sense if that makes sense um but in that our accountant is trying to be undercover from the government and so he picks this 2013 ford xlt and the ford is the ford f-150 is the most sold vehicle in America. The XLT trim level is the most sold of that vehicle. And so, you know, taking, being undercover in that sense is, is easier to do. And it's also the environment that he's in. He's in a rural area of Illinois in the setting of that movie. And so he needs to relate to his customer base. And so having a truck is also an intelligent choice in that sense. And so the question that started with that video was do these cars as props are they the right vehicle for the character and there are a couple of different avenues that um, also have that same line of thinking there's costume design so is their costume the right costume for their character or for their scene or for that setting or time period 
there's set design, there's prop design, and the best case of those sorts of things, you can't really tell whether it's intelligent or not. Um, but the best example of that intersection is with Doctor Who. With every change in the Doctor Who actor or actress, there's a new sonic driver, sonic screwdriver, a new TARDIS set. Um, and they're very specific to that both actor and character's timeline. Um, so yeah, that's where that initially started out. How many videos have you done now, Josh? I have finished my ninth, vi ninth video as of last week, and I am in the middle of editing my 10th video. So thus far, you've done The Accountant. Uh, and I know uh, I shared the Wayne's World video with the Pacer, which ironically enough, Larry may have some words about the Pacer. Well, awesome. yes, and I just just to put a word in about the Pacer, I actually bought a 1976 Pacer at the advice of my dad. It was the last time I ever took my dad's advice on what car to buy. That car <laughs> never did run. It backfired all the time. And, in, and the, the bad luck story on it was I tried to get the thing fixed, couldn't get it done. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with it. A week after I sold it, the guy at the AMC dealership I knew said, oh, by the way, we just got a bulletin. We know how to fix that now. But that was a, the Pacer was a great example of they were supposed to have a, 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 some kind of revolutionary engine in it and ended up right. not working, and then they had to put the piston engine in it, and that right. just never really worked. But, uh, yeah, tell me about why you were drawn to a Pacer in any way there, Josh. Yeah, that was actually a recommendation. It was the first suggestion on the channel. Um, a lot of the times for the first several videos, I have a list of movies that I enjoy that I want to talk about. Um, and also I saw a movie recently and it was a really good example or for actually this, this week's video, that's the television series. Um, and Kyle Hunter suggested the AMC Pacer and um, had a lot of fun reliving some of my high school <laughs> years watching, watching that. Um, and it was a good juxtaposition with my current perspective as a father. <laughs> well, I must, I must tell you that, uh, I had a friend of mine in the 80s who still had an old pacer, and literally the door fell off the car. So it, yeah. it uh, lived up to its reputation. Adam, anything you want to chop, chop in here with? So uh, I'm sure you got a long list of cars that uh, you want to do but haven't done yet. I, what's on the to-do list? What's on the sneak preview of coming episodes? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the so Baby Driver's... Subaru WRX STI is on that list. Um, and I, I'm going to try to release that once they share the minor design changes that they're going to have with that vehicle. Um, Stranger Things is Blazer. Hopper's Blazer is on the list. And with that, there's law enforcement truck style vehicle. So there's Long Myers Bronco. There's Lone Wolf McQuaid's Dodge Ram Charger, which was also another suggestion. Um, there's the, the coming episode is WandaVision's Buick Verano, um, which will be a fun episode because it's not so much, that car is not so much about whether it's the right car for the character, even though that's something that I look at, but is that car the right choice for the scene as well? Because it's introduced in a scene where should never be about the car. It should be about the emotions that are behind that scene. So oh, it'll be a fun one. Do you only do like 
cars that exist in real life. You don't do like the Batmobile and stuff like that. Currently, yes, that is the case. Um, so I, I talk a little bit about the Batmobile in, in a couple of, of the videos that they're I have a couple of, of reoccurring topics that I sort of sprinkle in. Um, the coming Batman, the coming Batman movie will have a pretty, a pretty good backstory to it because the designer of that Batmobile, his name is Ash Thorpe. Um, he had some good thought behind it and he actually put some real effort into his design behind it. There are, there are a couple of concept sketches from Tim Burton's iterations and Patrick Totopoulos' Batmobiles that are just sort of, here are some fun lines. Let's see if we can make it into a car. But this coming Batmobile will be a good exercise in what is good cinemotive design. You know, Josh, uh, I went to Universal Studios a couple of years ago and they do a, a little bit uh, about the Blues Brothers and uh, Blues Brothers show and they recreate that car that was used in the blues brothers uh have you looked into that at all? police interceptor maybe yeah yeah yep that's a i haven't it's not on my list but um yeah that's a, a g- great example i think in some of our correspondence josh uh you were saying you, you hadn't and weren't planning on doing any of the fast and the furious movies is that because you're not a fan of the franchise or because it sort of just seems like maybe too obvious of a choice. So, um, no, I am a fan of the franchise. I think it's, I think it's fun. And I think it's, it's got good drive to it. Um, pun intended, but, um, it's just a, a loud amalgamation of so many cars. And, um, the third picture cars video I did was with wonder woman's series of, vehicles that she's had throughout her tenure on the screen. And I don't think that that video format works in in the sense that if you focus in on one car at a time, then it's a lot better. And Fast and Furious has more than two dozen, more than three dozen cars in it that I could explore. So Sure. Do you have a favorite on-screen car or a few that you could uh, reference? And maybe the same question to Adam and Larry as well. My favorite on-screen car is, I mean, the reason I really like the accountant's Ford F-150. Like, it's it's not obvious, but I think it's for those reasons that I just think it's so intelligently done. You're digging more into the character and what the vehicle means to the character and the plot of the movie itself, it seems like, maybe than the car itself. Exactly, yeah. That was a good movie. You know, I look back at cars and movies. uh, The one thing that strikes me is not so much the car itself and the specs and so forth. It's uh, there are two specific movies going back several years where the director puts you in the driver's seat and it scares you to death. The first was Bullet. If anybody's seen Bullet, that uh, see that in a movie theater, particularly, man, you feel like you're in that car, and it's like you, you feel exhausted once that scene's over. Another is yeah. the French Connection, where they drive through a city. Um, I, I don't know. I, for me, uh, I think when a director puts you in the driver's seat and uh, puts you through a scary chase scene, you know, Baby Driver did that to some extent, but I think Bullet and French Connection were the ones that stick out in my mind. 
Adam, do you have any thoughts along those lines? When I was a kid, I wanted the car from Ghostbusters. The Ecto-1. That was, that was a cool car. Without What kind of car is that? What's, what's the make and model of that one? I actually don't know that one. The hearse? You're talking about the it hearse? It is a hearse. I don't know what, what model it is. but Yeah, I don't want to be wrong on, on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, just talk about some of the other cars, Josh, that uh, you've profiled in your videos. Sure. Um, so Interstellar was another good exercise. Um, and soon after the accountant... Yeah, soon after The Accountant, I went back and looked at Interstellar, and that one was was such a an interesting design choice as far as production decisions go, because Interstellar is a futuristic movie, and so they needed the character to have an old beat-up farm truck, which is stereotypical of farmers in movies. They have their old beat-up truck but they used the newest model for that, that older truck. And then they just you know, went to town on it. They removed handles. They covered it in dirt. They banked it up with a crowbar. And, and that was a fun exercise and, and good design as well. Um, the Bruce Wayne's um, Mercedes concept. So the, the Vision GT, which was in the Justice League, videos the justice league movies um is also a, a fun addition to, to that universe because it's you know when you think of bruce Wayne, he's the billionaire playboy right and having the only car available on the earth is just kind of fits that character very well and, and there are a couple of different bruce wayne vehicles that sort of fit that um and so that was a good one but in justice league as well wonder woman's character diana prince is in a mercedes um e-class cabriolet and that's just not a good choice i didn't think so because you know when you think of the audience seven months prior so um wonder woman came out in 2017 in June, early June. And then, you know, months later in November, they see Justice League and she's hopping out of her German-made vehicle when to the audience, even though, you know, hundreds of years have passed, sorry, a hundred years had passed in the cinematic universe, only months have gone by. And so the audience is still sort of trying to identify where she lies when it comes to Germany. And yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, I looked up some suggestions that maybe some ones that you could do. Uh, Cause I was trying to find the name of a certain car and then they all kind of pulled up. Yeah. John wick is a perfect example. They steal his car and then he goes on a, and his kill his dog, which yeah. is even worse than stealing a car. But then they go, he goes on the murderous rampage for the 1969 uh, Mustang. That was a great car. Uh, a couple others that you know, I was that popped up when I was doing that. The Ashton Martin from the Bond movies—that's a classic one. Uh, the car from Christine—you know, Stephen King got hit by a car, and then he makes a whole movie about a killer car because that's how weird Stephen King is. And um, Mad Max—it uh, says here that that car was a uh, Ford Fal- 1973 Ford Falcon. 
Yes. Uh, not the the sleekest of designs, but maybe at that time it looked uh, looked great. But uh, Gosling's yeah, car from Drive would probably be cool too. That'd be a good one. The link, the Lincoln from Lincoln Lawyer. There you go. That's another yeah. good one. <laughs> and Not you know, I mentioned I mentioned Cruella because I'm reviewing that a little later in the podcast. Hey, Cruella Deville had a pretty mean car. She was a yep. terrible driver, but she had a pretty mean oh. roadster. Yep. Mean, mean car for mean lady. Um, anybody else have any questions for Josh, uh, Alec? Anything else you want to bring up here? Um, it is race month in Indiana. Are you a race fan, Josh? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, were... Are you rooting for a particular driver this year? So this year's odd. Um, so Fernando Alonso was the McLaren driver who was supposed to be driving last year, but then resultantly got penalized because of anyway um not this year this okay. year is, is kind of a weird year for for that yeah McLaren's, mclaren's back in racing in the indy 500 but you're right exactly. uh, the alonso uh, situation was very strange you don't have to get that's a racing thing we don't have to get into but mclaren exactly. who had been involved in indycar for many years is finally getting back into it not with the name drivers like they used to, but uh, I do think they're back, which uh, if you're a fan of McLaren and, and some of those uh, types of cars, uh, that's interesting. But uh, I'm still old enough to remember the Novi. Novi was big when I was a kid. They, were, they had all that horsepower, but they never won a race. They were too heavy and just never could finish a race, and that was, that was the problem with the Novi. Uh, Josh, one last thing I, w I do want to bring up for sure before I forget – Tell us where people can find your videos. How, just how can one find your videos? Absolutely. Um, so my name makes it a little bit difficult because there are other Josh Whites. The easiest way to find my videos on YouTube is to search for Josh White picture cars. Um, and, and you'll get my list from there. Excellent. Yeah, I'm sure Josh White is a very common name, so... We'll differentiate your way uh, as best you can. Well, we certainly wish you well. You've had nine videos so far. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. So you plan, how often do they come out? The hope is that they'll come out weekly, weekly once school is out and I'm no longer making videos for school. Okay, very good. Uh, any final questions from Adam or Alec before we let Josh go? Not hey. so much. We do really appreciate your time, Josh. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you, Josh. Uh, very fascinating, and we would certainly encourage people to check out your videos. And thanks for joining us today. Yep, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure for all ours, yeah. All right, now we need to get back to the movies here uh, with uh, Adam and, and uh, Alec and myself. I'm going to start off with uh, some news that broke just before we started this podcast that we just found out that Amazon is, in fact, buying MGM Studios. This has been rumored for a long time. I guess the, the hang-up was the actual sale price. The sale price uh, that uh, MGM wanted was $9 million. Uh, there had been haggling going on for some time. Uh, the word this morning, uh, which would be the morning of uh, May the 26th, is that Amazon is going to pay $8.5 million dollars or MGM, Larry, yes. You're saying M is in Mary. I thought the number I saw was B is in Barry. Oh, yeah. Did I say million? 
I'm, I'm thinking you're small doing a reverse here. Doctor Evil here. I, I'm definitely thinking too small here. It's a billion. You are correct. I uh, I stand corrected on that one. It, it's not million. It's billion. I mean, eight million dollars doesn't even finance one film. So yeah, I would say that uh, this billion, multi-billion dollar, eight and a half billion dollar deal where Amazon is buying MGM. Of course, Amazon, the size that they are, this is chump change for them, some would say. I think it's still a pretty significant investment. And I think, and Alec, I like your view on this, I think Amazon wanted a couple of different things. One, they wanted that massive uh, library MGM has going back years so they can put more material on Amazon Prime. But they also want access to the past James Bond films and future Bond films. But the uh, wrinkle in this is that the people who own the Bond franchise are very particular about how those films are done, where they're released, how they're released. How do you think this marriage will work out? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know what the benefit is for them to have the Bond franchise. It's not like it's going to be streaming exclusively on Amazon. I don't think the Broccoli's, the family that owns the, the rights of the franchise, would allow that. And I certainly don't want to see that happen. I've waited a long time for uh, No Time to Die, and it'd be kind of a bummer if it's only available on our TV screens. Because it's a good-looking movie from the trailer. Oh, yeah. You know, one thing that I think is interesting is we've already seen AT&T. You know, they tried to get in the movie entertainment business, the content business, and they never could make a go of it, and they sold off all those properties at a loss. I mean, people, they didn't really say it that way, but they bought it for one price and sold it for a much lower price. So in that sense, uh, it's a money loser for AT&T. They, this was not a, uh, an investment that turned out well for that company. They're, they're out of the entertainment content business. Amazon tried that. They had their own studio. They didn't have put out bad material all the time. They had some, some good material, but it looks buying MGM seems to be a, a play to increase the quality of the content. Adam, I don't know if you're with us yet. Uh, I was going to say, you would, would you like to weigh in on this discussion? I, I mean, MGM doesn't have the, they have some back catalog of some great movies, but their production of new films has been limited. Bond is their hottest property that they currently have. But besides that, unless they really want that back catalog, I don't know if paying that much money is worth it. So we'll see how this works out. Maybe Amazon will put money into it, the uh, people at MGM who are creative, and we can see some, so some new material coming out through the Amazon franchise. But that's big news, and it will have some impact on the film business, particularly as you watch TV and streaming, but uh, also could impact the movie theaters as well. I have only seen one film lately. I'm seeing, uh, uh, seeing a film tonight. I know that both of you gentlemen have watched several films. Adam, I've just read uh, two of your reviews. You've just recently posted on some films that are coming out this weekend. So let me ask Adam to start the discussion, talk about the films you've seen. And, and uh, from what I'm hearing, uh, you have some, a, a very positive spin on the films you've seen so far. Yes, I've got some good news. So a lot of people that I've talked to haven't. Hey, okay, okay. We have my daughter Madeline, and she loves the microphone, and uh, so she. Fun. We can. They're fun to play with. <laughs> I know. Uh, it, it it would be annoying if it wasn't so adorable. She's adorable. So, um, so there's uh, a lot of people haven't been to the theaters in maybe a year. 
because of the pandemic and because a lot of the offerings haven't been great. I went to the theater probably three times during the pandemic. One was we rented out a movie theater. So it was completely safe because it was spread out with very few people. But that was a classic film. We watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. It wasn't something new. It was more just, hey, isn't it cool that we can rent out a whole movie theater for like $100? When are we going to get a chance to be able to do this this cheap again? Uh, I saw Tenet when it came out. I was disappointed in that one. I think Larry was too. Um, it just wasn't something Christopher Nolan was really insistent that this needed to be in theaters and it can't be delayed any longer. And it just wasn't as really good to be honest, to justify that kind of. Um, and then finally, I, um, I did see, uh, Nomadland in theater with, uh, with Alec. And uh, that one was available on Hulu at the same time. Um, you could have, was it worth seeing it in a theater? Maybe because I think visually it was really cool on a big screen, but it wasn't a must. It wasn't um, like a big action movie or anything. But now we've got a few movies coming out that insist you come see them in theaters. Uh First off, I'll start with one that is the most, the biggest draw for people to see in theaters, Quiet Place Part Two. Uh, and I think all three of us enjoyed the first one, maybe to different degrees, but all of us at least thought it was a good movie. Uh, sequels are hard. And Duran Krasinski, who you might know as Jim from The Office or Jack Ryan, uh, he didn't know if he wanted to make a sequel, thought it was a contained story that didn't need one. But he came up with an idea. And I will say that he came up with an idea that really justifies the existence of a sequel in the first place. This movie is lean. It is fast paced. It's 90 minutes, which is when it ended, you're thinking that's it. But if anything, I think that's the better option than having a bloated movie like we see nowadays. Um, It has an interesting storyline. It opens up the world where you want a quiet place part three now because uh, so much goes on in the movie. Uh, is it as good as the first one? No, but usually most sequels aren't. Everything a sequel could be or should be, and it really does benefit seeing it in a theater. Not only the visuals on the big screen, but the sound. When I saw it at the screening at AMC, the sound vibrated through my seat in a few scenes. If you know anything about the first Quiet Place, it goes from... I know the sound. It goes from very quiet very loud at times and uh it was it got nominated for an oscar for best sound design the first one the second one is just as good um i really enjoyed it uh i think most people if you like the first one you're gonna like this one and here's the yeah it's a good it has good sound madeline and then the other thing uh it was made for only 20 million dollars it was amazing special effects great movie i know um, sorry. The um, <laughs> but, but Madeline should be a regular from now on. You know? I know she wants to. She's a little ham. She wants to be the star. But I will say that um, the first one was made for seventeen million dollars, and it made like three hundred million in the box office. So it was a huge hit. Um, this one, you thought, okay, the first one was a huge hit. They're going to give John Krasinski so much more money for a sequel. No, only twenty million. 
Again, he will make that money will be made back this weekend. Well, can I ask you a question about that? Because when you see a, a, a anything like this, when you have a follow up film like this, a, a sequel, sometimes the sequel is made because the studio says you must do a sequel, and those are not very good. What I'm hearing you say is this is a sequel the filmmakers wanted to make, and that made it a good film. Well, originally it was the studio pushing it, and John Krasinski said, "I'm not going to be a part of it. I don't have an idea." But then he came around. And I'm glad he did because you can imagine a sequel without his involvement wouldn't have had the same feel to it. This, uh, you know, it, it's a the only thing I would really say bad about this movie, and it's probably the same with the, it. Definitely is an homage to other films. You'll watch this movie and constantly be reminded of other filmmakers and other films. I was reminded of Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds and. Uh, even like leave no trace with the Appalachian trail in the woods. I was um, reminded that <laughs> you see a cat in the. <laughs> We're going to see the entire uh, Austin family before it's over. I know. Um, reminded me of the TV show lost at times and uh, uh, walking dead is an obvious comparison. Although I'll say the walking dead has not been what it once was in maybe seasons one or two. Um, so it is a, it's a great movie and it's one that warrants seeing in theaters. Well, let me, as, as Adam kind of catches his breath there with his daughter and his cat, Alec, uh, maybe you can pick a film to talk about. Sure. Uh, my last full length review was published late last week. It was for an independent horror film called seance. It's the uh, director feature directorial debut of screenwriter, Simon Barrett. He's best known for writing uh, the Adam Wingard-directed movies You're Next and The Guest, movies I'm, I'm a big fan of. Uh, this movie takes place at a uh, women's boarding school, and uh, it's part slasher movie, part ghost movie. The movie opens with a group of young ladies uh, doing a seance to bring back the spirit of a woman who went to their school who committed suicide in the late uh, 90s, those ancient times, the late 90s. Um, They may bring her back, they may not. One of the girls who's participating gets scared, runs to her dorm room, and promptly falls to her death out her her dorm room window. Um, She's replaced by another young woman who is on a wait list there, played by uh, Sookie Waterhouse, who uh, you may remember from a movie called The Bad Batch, as well as another movie called Assassination Nation from a few years ago. Uh, She's a talented young actress. She's a very uh, steely lead in the movie. She is tough. She gets in fights with other women at the school. Uh, I didn't care for the movie initially, but I loved the last half hour of it. The movie is only 90-some-odd minutes, but it, it really finds itself late in the movie has some awesome gore, some awesome kills. It actually gets fairly legitimately scary and was a lot of fun in the end. Okay, sounds interesting. Uh, I'm going to go back to Adam. Uh, Adam, you have a couple of films left to talk about. Choose one. All right. Also coming out this weekend is Cruella, and this is also available on Disney Plus if you pay $30. Although I'll say is borderline whether the theatrical experience would enhance it. Um, I think it's quality enough to warrant a visit to the theater, but maybe you might enjoy it just as much on your TV at home, uh, depending on whether $30 is worth it for you. 
you're a one person going by yourself, maybe that single ticket is a better price. Um, Emma Stone uh, takes on an origin story of the famed Disney Cruella de Vil. And this definitely reeks of a film that the studio pushed. Uh, They've had similar success with villain origin stories like Maleficent with Angelina Jolie, which made a ton of money enough that it uh, had a sequel. And uh, Disney has been cranking those live action uh, versions of their animated classics, such as Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast and Lion King. And all of them have made a ton. Even the one Dumbo, which was a lot uh, less popular, still made plenty of money. So there was some skepticism going in, but I was pleasantly surprised because of two things. The darker tone, this is PG-13, not R, but still PG-13, and the terrific performances of both Emma Stone and Emma Thompson. These two Oscar-winning Emmas uh, have great chemistry between the two of them. They enjoyed chewing this, have a lot of fun. Uh, Emma Thompson is a uh, the called the Baroness. She is a fashion icon. I think Meryl's character in the Delaware's Prada, but a little more evil, a little more homicidal, uh, so to speak. And Emma Thompson makes the character her own. Emma Stone is a meek little orphaned drifter with uh, uh, burglars named Horace and Jasper. And then she, uh, through mistreatment in life, her evil side, which has always been held in, her alter ego, Cruella, comes out and she becomes this um, daring fashion icon, a rival to the Baroness that's part uh, Andy Warhol, part Lady Gaga. Uh, You know, you could throw in some uh, Joey Ramone in there because she's got a lot of punk rock going on. Um, Little Banksy with the graffiti. So she's definitely a really out there person. If you like movies with good costume design, which, hey, I'm a straight white man who can barely dress himself, and I get the costumes in this movie. Uh, this is up your alley. Great makeup, great costumes, and great performances. The biggest downside, yes, Disney's producers had their hands in this, uh, and it doesn't really go far enough to show how evil she is, especially when it comes to the animal cruelty aspect. Um that's probably a good thing if we're trying to make her a sympathetic character. We didn't want her to go full Michael Vick on these puppies. Uh, but you see hints of the uh, the evilness that will come out later on. Not really for kid, not really for young kids, but for middle school and up, they may enjoy it. Okay, so um, Cruella gets a a thumbs up. It gets a, a, a go see it with some caveats. Is that what it's I'm it's the best it could be. Okay, best it could be. Let me uh, throw in a film here that I have just recently seen, and uh, it's called Final Account. It is still playing locally in Indianapolis uh, as I record this, or will be the coming weekend as we record this on May 26th. Final Account is it reminded me of a film that uh, was uh, released in the 80s, much different film called Shoah, which is a nine-hour-plus uh, classic film about the Holocaust. Uh, it took, if you watch it at a movie theater, it took two nights to see it. I think public TV ran it four nights uh, to show it. Uh, it's it's an incredibly compelling film which showed no uh, stock footage of what happened during Nazi Germany. It just talked to people today, and that day was in 85, just or in the 1980s. Uh, and, and showed what those uh, death camps looked like at that time. They didn't show anything uh, 
uh, from years ago and just tried to talk about the the Holocaust, <clears throat> why it happened, and how people living near where it happened uh, did or didn't really know what was going on. Final Account is a much shorter film, obviously, and they do show some uh, historical footage. But the director was Luke Holland, and Luke Holland in 2008, 2008 he started recording interviews. He went to senior housing all throughout Europe, trying to find people who lived in the towns near the death camps, who... Uh, were working uh, uh, as guards in some of these concentration camps, members of the SS. I mean, these he went all out trying to, he would go to a town and just talk to people and try to find somebody who might have some connection to the Holocaust. And he came up with some incredible, incredible interviews. Sadly, Luke Holland contracted cancer and he died before the film could be finished. And uh, some uh, movie-making uh, friends of his uh, banded together and finished the film. This was a film that was, nobody wanted to fund it. <clears throat> the Jewish organizations thought the Germans should fund it. The Germans didn't want to touch it because of the subject matter. Uh, so it was a shoestring budget. But this is a very, very good film. Final account. It's, it's, I mean, there's so many films that have been done about the Holocaust and Nazi Germany. I mean, this is there's obviously a lot of good ones, some not very good. This would be on my list of one of the better films about that period. Where or how did you see this, Larry? This was at, it's playing at the Landmark Theater in Indianapolis right now. I don't think it's streaming yet. I think it's only available in theaters. Uh, sometimes, you know, these documentary films only last one weekend at Landmark. It's been carried over to a second weekend. So it's there weren't many people in the theater at the time I saw it, but apparently it's picking up an audience, and I'm, I'm very glad to see that. Alec, anything you want to throw in here movie-wise? I didn't write a proper review of it, but yesterday I did watch a movie that's uh, on HBO Max and playing in theaters called uh those who wish me dead it's uh a new directorial project from taylor sheridan uh he directed a movie called wind river a few years ago that i thought was quite a good film he's also known for writing sicario and hell or high water as well as creating the uh, paramount uh network series yellowstone um he's a very talented man i felt as if this movie were perhaps a bit beneath him, but it wasn't bad. It, it felt like a uh, throwback to thrillers we'd see in the 90s. Very simple story, runs 90-some-odd minutes. Uh, Angelina Jolie is the lead in it. She plays a smoke jumper who is um, afflicted by an uh, accident that uh, caused the deaths of some folks maybe a year or so prior um, she is enlisted to help a young boy whose father is killed by some mercenaries for information he has on them. Um, they are fleeing these guys who start a, a forest fire in the state of Montana to help uh, trap them, I suppose. Um, John Barenthal is also in the movie. He's an actor I like a lot. I'm blanking on the woman's name who plays his wife, but I thought she was quite good as well. Um, the project is listed as like an Angelina Jolie starring vehicle, which it is to some extent. She is the biggest star in the movie, but it's also kind of an ensemble piece. The killers who are going after her and the boy are played by Aidan Gillen, who folks will remember from The Wire and uh, Game of Thrones, and Nicholas Holt, who was in Mad Max Fury Road, and who folks may remember as the little boy from About a Boy, uh, a Hugh Grant movie from about 20 years ago. 
Yeah, I enjoyed I, the movie. Oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish up. I, I enjoyed the movie. I didn't love it. I would give it a three out of five star review for uh, something that you could watch on a Saturday afternoon on HBO Max. It, it fits the bill. Yeah, you mentioned Wind River, and that was a film that I liked a lot. It got some very mixed critical reviews. As a lot of reviewers didn't think much of that film. I liked it very much, so very interesting he's involved with this film as well. Let's go back to Adam. I know you have at least one more film to uh, All right. discuss. I got something exciting. Now, this one doesn't come out for a uh, couple weeks, um, but it'll be available in theaters and on HBO Max for, I think, 30 days, uh, the first 30 days of its theatrical window, In the Heights. Now, In the Heights is a uh, feature-length movie based on the musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which you know from Hamilton. This was the musical he made before Hamilton that actually won Best Musical at the Tonys. Uh, he starred in it, and uh, he's not he's in the movie, but he's not in the lead role this time because he is appropriately aged out. Um, so he and maybe his own schedule. He just does a he has a smaller cameo. But the lead is Anthony Ramos, which was in the Lin Manuel Miranda role. Uh, he is the perfect choice. He was original member of Hamilton. Um, he was uh, he's the one who played Lawrence and 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 uh, Hamilton's son in the original version. Uh, so he's obviously familiar with uh, his style. Uh, it's directed by John Chu, who did Crazy Rich Asians, which was a huge hit on a small budget. And uh, John Chu doesn't have a great filmography prior to Crazy Rich Agents, but after that and now this, he will be considered to be a sought-after name for years and years and years. Um, this movie is a joy to watch. It is colorful. It is fun. Uh, I, I don't know if I can say this yet, but it'd be one of the, one of the best musicals I've seen for a movie. You know, I've seen uh, a lot of trailers, and I've seen the trailer for In the Heights, and you wonder, could the film be as good as it looks? You're saying it is. It is fast-paced. It was fun. You know, I never saw it on stage, but I imagine it's probably better in film because some of the things they do, just this fast-paced music video style, I think really works. Uh, a lot of musical movies don't know what to do, and I think this one really does. Um, the reason I'm giving this such high marks is this is a movie you will want to watch more than once. So, you know, very often you have a movie, you go to a theater, you enjoy it. This is one you may want to go back to the theater. Or if you have HBO Max, watch it again and again because the songs are catchy. It's fast-paced. It's got great acting. Uh, Jimmy Smits, who has not aged in years, uh, is, is great in it. So it's a wonderful cast. It's multicultural. I recommend it. Uh, an interesting note, though. So Lin-Manuel Miranda took himself out of the lead from this, even though he was the original on Broadway because he got too old. Uh, see a trailer for another musical movie coming out later this year, which you might have seen some controversy. Dear Evan Hansen, where the lead and Platt from he was the lead on Broadway is now the lead in the movie. And he's 27 years old and looks 40 and is supposed to play a 16 year old in this movie. Well, we'll see how <laughs> and that he's works. getting he's getting ripped apart. People who saw the trailer on social media saying, hey, I know you were the original on Broadway, but maybe pass the baton. You're you're getting a little old. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be uh, playing a high schooler anymore. Well, let's It'll make not... it easier for him to buy beer, at least. That's good. 
Well, let's let's not judge a film by the trailer, okay? Let's give the guy a chance. It's <laughs> better it than judging it by its poster. I sometimes well, and I look at the poster and say, "Ah, this movie looks terrible." So, okay, gentlemen, let me wrap this up with some last comments, and and I'll ask you to incorporate this into your final comments. I'll ask Alec to start. Uh, it sounds to me as if we were getting some really good quality films in theaters. Will people be coming back to theaters? There's some indication people are slowly coming back with vaccinations widespread and available. Alec, uh, final thoughts and, and to kind of address that point as well. I mean, I think we're seeing it in all sorts of businesses, not just movies. I think people are getting vaccinated and are feeling more comfortable returning to restaurants and bars and things of this sort. Um as the quality of movies and the uh, appeal of movies grows, uh, I think we will see a lot more folks in theaters, hopefully still with some distancing and still with masks. Adam, your thoughts. Go back to theaters, people. It is time. Um, a Quiet Place Part Two is uh, reason enough to go. It is not available on streaming until later on. I think 45 days after its release, it'll be on Paramount Plus, which I don't know anyone who has Paramount Plus. Uh, so you're going to sign up for that just for a quiet, just go to the theater. It's great in theaters. It's safe. Uh, they do require that you wear a mask, which is a little annoying. Uh, if you're fully vaccinated like me, just eat your popcorn really slow. And then you don't have to have the mask on. I did put it on when I was done eating. I mean, I'll but, be honest. Uh, most people I see in there don't wear them. I wear one, but I see lots of folks who don't. I mean, um, follow the rules, people. If they ask you to wear a mask, wear a mask because even if you're fully vaccinated, because don't be that jerk who makes life difficult for the uh, school kid working at the movie theater, just put on the mask. But you know, you can, if you're eating and drinking, yeah. And you're, if you're vaccinated, don't, I mean, if you're not vaccinated, like, please be careful. But if you're fully vaccinated like me, yeah, slowly eat that popcorn while you're in the theater and you'll be fine and enjoy the movie. In fact, I'm going to go see A Quiet Place 2 the night, uh, just a few hours after we record this, and I'll hopefully, by many, by the time a lot of you hear this podcast, I should have a review up and running uh, uh, with, uh, with my views on that. Looking f forward to hopefully a good film. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. We want to thank Josh White also for joining us. Uh, he's a teacher, so he had a small window in which to talk to us. We really, really appreciated uh, him talking to us. Uh, Adam... Alec and myself will be back very soon. So I want to thank you for watching on video and, and or listening on the audio podcast. So I, I would also say check out uh, the website. They're at thefilmyap.com quite often, but gradeamovies.com is where you'll find Alec and Adam's reviews on a regular basis. My name's Larry Lannon. I want to thank you again for watching and listening and wish you all well. Please be safe and be kind.